Set yourself a New Year goal, they said. It'll be fun. <sighs> Perhaps swimming in the Irish Sea wasn't such a good idea. Set a more achievable goal, like taking control of your finances with personalised money insights in the Bank of Ireland app. It'll help keep track of your spending, like changes to bills, or you might have too many subscriptions. See your tailored money insights, because your financial well-being is our priority. Bank of Ireland. Begin. Bank of Ireland is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Terms and conditions apply. Great. There goes my towel. The Left Wing, brought to you by Bank of Ireland, a proud sponsor of Irish Rugby. Never stop competing. This is an Irish independent podcast. I don't think they're a squad in crisis. They've, they've done lots of good business. I think the coaching staff is good. And I think they're still missing a 10. But I think generally speaking, that, that's a very good squad. I think because I feel like they're at, at the upper echelon, but just can't make the next step. And have kind of consistently been there for quite a while. So I'm just wondering why it hasn't, why they haven't been able to bridge that and, and get over and get a win and, and win a competition. I would love to see Johnny Sexton one more kind of head-to-head fractious derby day on, on Stevens Day at Thorne Park, potentially. They should just be playing all those guys in those fixtures anyway. It's too big a fixture to not have the star power. I think Irish Irish supporters in the league deserve, so I hope they don't do something silly and not bring out you know, a really top-class team down there. The Champions Cup kicked off last weekend with mixed fortunes for the Irish sides. Leinster issued a major statement of intent in their win away to Racing 92 Munster came up just short against Toulouse, but it was a complete disaster for Ulster, who suffered a first ever European whitewash against Sale Sharks. Welcome to the left wing. Will Slattery here, joined by Luke Fitzgerald and Jonathan Bradley of the Belfast Telegraph. And Jonathan, we'd booked you to come on the show before the weekend's result against Sale, uh, so it's probably even more timely now that you're here. Very interesting reading your piece on Ulster and where they're at in today's Irish Independent. It was in the Belfast Telegraph as well. You know, you said that you thought maybe Ulster should consider reimbursing the fans who pe- bought tickets to the game. You said it was probably the worst performance you'd seen in the eight years you've been covering the team. And, you know, that result in the game against Leinster has not only kind of called into question whether they can compete this year for a trophy, but people are even now questioning the kind of the whole project, the, the development of this squad. Is that fair to say? Uh, there's definitely been evidence of people questioning that. Like, personally, I think that... Uh... That is a step too far. I think there's an awful lot that's been wrong, obviously, with the last uh, with the last two weeks, and an awful lot that has come together in an almost perfect storm sort of way. You know, the the injuries that they suffered against Leinster, the team that they then sent over to Seal, and they just look like a team that's completely shot of uh, confidence. It's like you were saying; it's definitely the worst performance that I can remember covering them, and. The thing that I found most strange was just the sort of complete lack of edge for what was such a sizable game. Like, even in past bad performances, there's normally something, there's some aspect of your game that fires, there's something that you can hang your hat on, but they were just completely second best in every single department in that game. And, like, that's rare to see in any Champions Cup game where one side is just so dominant over another. Yeah, Luke, what, what's your perspective? You know, we touched on it last week, the, the Ulster-Leinster game and the collapse in the second half. And we were saying that maybe it would either, you know, inspire a response or it could be, you know, maybe a massive blow going into a big game and the confidence might be shot. Like, do you look at the last two weeks as just two bad weeks? Do you look at it as indicative of a team in trouble, a squad in trouble? What, what's your, you know, outlook on it? 
I don't think they're a squad in crisis. I just got to put put a. I, I, that'd be my view there. I think um, they are still lacking. I, like I thought, um, I thought Jonathan was actually for what would have been a, a hurtful one. I thought your article last week was you were you know you you didn't really stick the knife in last week. I didn't think and the uh, after the Leinster game and I kind of felt probably a bit more strongly about that one because I think they're. I, I I think they've 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 done lots of good business. I think the coaching staff is good, and I think they're still missing a ten. But I think generally speaking, that that's a very good squad. I think maybe one, maybe another forward somewhere. But I think Kitsoff kind of had you know he'd box that off for me, and I, I'm kind of thinking, geez, if once he gets in, you know, they'll be a force to be reckoned with. Besides Burns, I still have issues with Burns. But my to to round that off, I think everyone, I think they're they're in the right place. But mentally, I was really worried about what I saw against Leinster. I thought that was really, really poor. Um, and I thought that was something to be worried about because I feel like they're at, at the upper echelon but just can't make the next step and have kind of consistently been there for quite a while. So I'm just wondering why it hasn't, why they haven't been able to bridge that and and get over and get a win and, and win a competition. So I was kind of worried about that in Leinster because that's kind of what I saw there. Uh I think the sale one is kind of like a perfect storm, to be honest. I think the travel arrangements were poor. Uh, Jonathan mentioned some of the injuries. I mean, kind of key players too. Um, and, and I think like, I think that really wasn't helpful after what would have been a really demoralizing week for them. And they would have talked about, you know, getting stuck in, all that kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden you're in the airport for, you know, the weekend. And, and you know, it's just, it's just an interrupted uh, preparation when really like you know that sales team they're actually a pretty decent outfit and they had a big big pack so you would have liked to have been, you know had full energy had a good sleep you know had you know settled in nicely uh, and i think it was a perfect storm and i think it just got it got away from them in the end and it was ugly um i agree with jonathan it was a very very disappointing performance um that's probably not strong enough but um i don't think they're a squad in crisis i think they need to calm heads now need to prevail um and they need to get back on the horse really really quickly this week and i think they're well capable of doing that well i think they've got all the quality i think they've got all the pieces of the puzzle there um just need to get the mental bit right and i think they can do that yeah it's not easy to get back on the horse when lara sheller come to town jonathan you know they were very impressive in their opening game you know 32 nil up against at halftime against northampton obviously not one of the leading lights of the competition but picked you know a strong side with a lot of internationals and lara shell absolutely wiped the floor with them like so it's not an easy game for them to to rebound i you know ideally you'd like something slightly easier than that like what kind of performance are you expecting? Like you would have thought last weekend there'd be a bit of a kick. You know, are we naive? Part of me thinks there there will be a Raven Hill. They're so strong there that there has to be something. But then, like you know, it could go pear shaped again as well. What, what's your view on their their frame of mind going into this weekend and how realistic it is to expect them to bounce back? Yeah, because I mean that's the massive thing, and that's always been the thing. Like. Look, I think you phrased it really well on last week's podcast that they consistently respond to their inconsistency. So whenever they have these bad results, they normally bounce back the next week. And there was a litany of examples of that even last season, how they would respond with the performance. And I think the way that they were talking after Leinster, it made you think that that response, you were going to get it against Sale. And... To see the performance that then they ended up putting up in the AJ Bell, it does make you question for all that they've been positive today. For all that uh, you know, I'm not long back from Ravenhill myself from from the presser this week's and Dan McFarlane basically saying that he knows he's going to get a response from the team, but it's very similar to what we heard last week in the wake of Leinster. But the reality is, and like Stuart McCluskey sort of alluded to this. Um, 
on Sunday after the game, like as bad as the last 120 minutes have been, if they do get that response against La Rochelle and go into the Christmas Interpros um, with a bit of confidence back, then the picture completely changes again. But it's about getting some of those key players back on form. Like a lot of the guys that this time last year we were talking about playing really, really well for whatever reason, whether it be injury or whether it be um, lacking that bit of confidence, they just haven't played as well as they were this time last year. And when you have that number of key men out of form, coupled with injuries to guys like, you know, Henderson missed the game, Cooney missed the game, Balakun missed the game, Luke Marshall, you know, those things pile up and then you do end up looking like a completely different team. So the response, as you say, is going to be key. And it's not just key for their European hopes. It's key to how they then negotiate this sort of the Christmas period in the URC and really set up the rest of their season moving forward in the new year. Yeah, and they don't have to go back too far, Will uh, or Johnny. I just think they... That first half against Leinster, well, the first 30 minutes against Leinster, 35 minutes against Leinster, they were really physical. Like, it, it's there, there's nothing that... They're kind of the basics of the game. Like, I, I kind of thought, like, there was some of the stuff against Sale, like the quick tap and the 22, like, kind of unforgivable things. Um, and just that that bite and physicality, physicality, as you said, at the wrong times they had it. Like, you know, you look at the yellow card with, with two laggy incident. You know, they're the wrong times to have those kind of... You need you need to have it consistently. And they had that against Leinster. So they don't have to go back too far mentally to go, okay, we're not a bad team all of a sudden. Um, let, let, let's just focus on, 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 on the most important parts, the big pillars of our game. And, and let's give that performance that we know we can uh, up in Kingspan because they're really, really difficult. Will, you said it. They're such a difficult team to play against up there. And that should be a basic that you get up there. And I think if you go and ahead and deliver on those things, the physicality particularly and the discipline, I think you go a long way to making it uh, certainly a fist fight with, with, with La Rochelle. And, and they've got the firepower. Both teams have firepower behind the scrum. If, the, if the, each pack can get into the game, get on the front foot, like both teams can score tries here. So, um, yes, it's a big ask. But, look, French teams away from home, they're, they're inconsistent as well. So I, I think I'm expecting a big bounce back. I think I know they're missing a few guys, and we wait and see. I don't know, Johnny, if you have insight into who's coming back into Is there anyone coming back in, or are they kind of longer term? Yeah, well, I mean, they, it sounds like they're expecting to get Henderson back, expecting to get Cooney back. Rory Sutherland might actually play. Now, that could be a big one to get back, especially given... <laughs> yeah, that, for uh, La Rochelle scrum, you wouldn't yeah, mind. exactly, especially when Andy Warwick has that sighting hearing on Thursday. So they're not going to know until Thursday whether he's going to be available. But you would say it's pretty unlikely that he doesn't get something, so... Yeah, well, just the point about the Ravenhill factor, like the bookies actually have it as a very close game. Considering Ulster's last couple of weeks, you might expect La Rochelle to come to town as decent favourites. But, you know, that Ravenhill factor is being respected by the bookmakers anyway. And I think Jonathan's point about the form of some of the guys involved in the Ireland squad as well in November is a good one. A lot of Ulster players who came in with high hopes didn't feature a whole pile or played against the A team and or played, sorry, with the A team against the Oblacks and didn't go great. So they maybe came back in a bit undercooked, a bit out of form, and, and, and certainly translated. Jonathan, one thing I did find interesting was kind of just how critical I saw some Ulster supporters on social media being. Obviously, the performance was really, really poor. That's obviously obvious to anyone. But, you know, I saw the CEO, Johnny Petrie, engaging with supporters. Like a lot of people tweeting him, like, you know, at Johnny Petrie giving out. And then you know, it was respectful back and forth. So it wasn't like, you know, he was coming out swinging or anything. But it just... 
it was just kind of something you don't really see that often in Irish rugby. I suppose a CEO taking to social media and, and responding directly. In some ways, it's a really good thing. But I just found it, it interesting that it even happened at all. Yeah, I think to the first point, I think it is good. Like um, Johnny Petrie's predecessor, Shane Logan, the main criticism I think that the fans really had with him was that uh, there was that, or there, it was perceived that there was a lack of accountability. So he would say the. The famous interview, I suppose, was the one where he said he wants also to be the best team in the world. And then after defeats, you wouldn't uh, you wouldn't hear from him. And uh, during particularly bad seasons, you didn't hear from him either. So I think it is good that Johnny Petrie has this uh, has this relationship with fans. He's savvy using social media, I think. But yeah, to the second point of this sort of, I suppose, level of. Uh, supporter angst that was out there in the wake of the game and things like, you know, hearing people say that, you know, should Dan McFarlane lose his job and and things like that. And I think it's very easy to overlook how good a job Dan McFarland has done at Ulster from when he took over to now. I think there's a possibility that he maybe is paying the price a bit for exceeding expectations so early. Like you think about where Ulster were when he took over to get them back into the European knockouts in his first season. And they really should have beat Leinster in that 2019 quarterfinal. And then to get them to the league final the next year, 2020, I think it probably raised expectations to the point that people thought, you know, right in the next year, in the next 18 months, whatever silverware is going to come. And there's a real frustration, especially off the back of that uh, Stormers result, with everybody having known that Leinster had been knocked out the night before, that the final would have been at uh, at Ravenhill had Ulster beat the Stormers. There was probably frustration bubbling along to start this season. And I think what you've seen over the last 10 days, two weeks, is that just coming to the surface. Coming to the service really on social media, like I haven't seen too much of it like out there in the real world or anything. And it's probably important to make the distinction between the two. But personally, like I think it's over the top to suggest that the the problem would be Dan McFarland or that there is sort of, as Luke said earlier, that there is like a, a f- some sort of fatal problem within the squad. I think it's just... Um, They've had a bad two weeks, like I said at the start. I think their confidence is shot. I don't think it's anything terminal. I think they'll they'll get back, and at the end of the season, we'll be there or thereabouts where we thought they would be. But that's not to say that uh, you can't criticize the performance on Sunday because, like I said, I do think it's the worst or certainly one of the worst that I can remember. Yeah, the Dan McFarlane point... Luke, you know, we, it's a point I raised last week as well that, like, every, I don't think anyone would come out and say Dan McFarland hasn't done a good job at Ulster. He clearly has, you know, from where they were when he took over, both on the pitch and with all the off field kind of stuff that was going on at the time. He restored kind of Ulster's place in Irish rugby very, very quickly. They play really good rugby. But I suppose this is five seasons. By the end of this year, it'll have been five seasons in charge. If a trophy hasn't been won, if they aren't close to winning a trophy this year, like, it is an interesting question. Like, I think he's done a good job, but like five seasons is a long time for one person to be coaching one club. 
Yeah, no, it is and it isn't. I think you have to remember where the project started, you know. Like, and I think, you know, I can see a lot of similarities in where Ulster are to where Leinster were when I first came into the province in, in 2006. Um, probably don't have the same maybe established... Um, Kind of like you know, there's no you Brian O'Driscoll no and a few others as well. No so in that squad. No, there's no O'Driscoll, but like or or Horgan or Hickey or whatever. There isn't that right. But at the same time, you know, there is there is still plenty of quality in there. Uh, plenty of experience. Um, I think he's done what. What I feel like he's done a really good job is he he must be able to sell the province first of all. But he has a really clear picture of where the problems were, and I felt for a long time that Ulster didn't really realise that, and were probably re- resourcing areas where they didn't need to resource with star class. Whereas really, I think what he's done with the pack, particularly, I think that that's been a real that's been the difference between Ulster being consistently at the top. And and you mentioned that um, while they've been while they haven't been able to get over that last hurdle, and and that's why I make this the the comparison to Leinster when I was there. We took you know there's a lot of times where that Leinster team wasn't able to get over. We were in semi-finals, etc. Couldn't get that last win when it really counted. After having played very good rugby, it, the, the the Munster one comes to mind in Lansdowne Road. Um, I I think he's done a brilliant job, and I think he's resourced it brilliantly. I just feel like the next step is um so is is kind of the hardest one, um, and I think that's where they are. At the moment, uh, really difficult place to be. And I don't know what the answer is, whether it's like I remember we got Enda McNulty in to, to Leinster and he was brilliant for us, just mentally getting us in the right place. And I feel like he was a key component, just a small thing that added something, added a bit of belief, added something into us that we were able to get over the hump and, and get those, get that win. And then you've seen what Leinster have gone on to do. Um, there's no reason Ulster can't do that. They've got you know a really strong academy. They've got great talent coming through. They've got great support, great facilities, etc. It's just that mental bit at the end. So I don't know how you bridge that, Will, but I don't think getting rid of McFarland or anything like that, any of that chat is actually productive because I think he's done a brilliant job. Um, you know, I think I still t- I have my 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 issues with 10, but that's only one position out of 15. It's a pretty important one, I think. But other than that, I think he's done a brilliant job. So I do feel like he probably needs to... Ha- it might be worth him having a think of whether there's something else he can do to to get, him over, get them over the line mentally. Um, whether that's as I said, bringing someone outside, maybe they already do, or maybe they need to change that person. I don't know. Um, but he does need to have a think about that. But I think he's been brilliant. I really like Dan, and I think he's he's the right guy for us. He's a really good fit up there. I think. Yeah, they, I mean, they brought in uh, a sports psychologist there at the start of last season. There's they've got somebody full time in that role, which they didn't have before, and um, it's an area I think of the game that obviously interests McFarland. Like he has a, you know, he has a background in that as well himself. So it does when you look at them and when you see the results and you list all the uh, close calls that they had even last season. You know, in the Toulouse game and uh, Stormers as well, and finishing games out, it does seem like uh, there's almost a mental block and just winning that uh, that big game. And you know, you get the sense that if they were to win one piece of silverware it wouldn't necessarily be the last it could just be a thing that opens the floodgates but then I think part of the frustration of Ulster fans as well comes down to the fact that people probably thought the same about that uh, 2011-2012-2013 up to to really 14 group that you know all they had to do was win one and then that would get, get them over the hurdle and obviously as everybody knows they weren't able to do it. Yeah, and in fairness, we must we've got to say like they've got pretty tough opposition. I think last year, you know, that was a that was a really big chance. They were in a, an unbelievable position there. 
Um, but Leinster have been like Leinster have got the, that win before Ulster have got it, and have seemed to have been really consistent since that, you know. And I think they have always been the big obstacle. You think of that Heineken Cup, like that—that that was real. That was a great Ulster team, uh, but just came up against a Leinster team that was just humming, you know, and had so much quality, like really difficult. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like I'm being harsh, but like, if they want to get the win, like Leinster seems to be the team they have to go through. Um, and like, you look at say that semi final or the quarter final with the Stockdale knock on, and in, in um, you know, then you look at that one a couple of weeks ago. Like, that was actually. That was close enough to Leinster's first team out. You know what I mean? The other one last year, I think, you know, there, was, there wasn't exactly a massive amount of Leinster players there, but that one was a big one a couple of weeks ago. And it just, for whatever reason, can't seem to kill off Leinster. And I even think this year in the in in, um, uh, in Raven Hill, you know, I, I just felt like that, you know, they, they had opportunities, not even in the first half. Leinster only had one or two, but they pinged them. You know, that when you think of the Bear try, I mean, Leinster, that was a, quite a tight game up until that point. Ulster had a couple of driving malls, which we know was very strong for them. And they just remember they, they just didn't get over that line. They dropped it and there was a knock on close to the line or something like that. They just can't seem to get, you know, those key moments in the big games against Leinster. Leinster just have whatever they have the confidence because they've got the wins or whatever it is, that clinical edge. There is a difference between the teams in that point. And I think they need to they need to have a think about that and think about how they're going to approach those big moments. And if there's something that they're doing, whether it's daily you know whether it's you know are they being loose in their discipline or there's is there something they could be doing better could they be could they switch up their training to be more situational could you know there's loads of things you can do to try and put yourself in those positions so that you can practice the pressure or never the pressure but practice you know thinking through those scenarios and what, what are you doing um in those big moments and why can't you get over the line because i think they should be able to get over the line is the the, the long-winded way of what i'm kind of getting at here and you just need to tweak something I think they've got most of the personnel right, um, you know, and I think they've got the coaching right. They just it's that last little bit um, that is, I, I must say, very difficult for teams to get to, to get over the line, though. Yeah, and if you look at obviously the European campaign, got off to a terrible start, and they have La Rochelle this weekend, which is very difficult in the league. They've only lost two Leinster. That's the only team that they've been beaten by this season. So there, you were see prospects as although that collapse was very you know, damaging for morale or for momentum, they still are very much in the hunt to get like a home, you know, knockout game in the league. So it's not done and dusted by any means, but obviously that's why this game is so important this weekend to get that momentum back and to start rebuilding the season because it's only halfway through. There's still plenty of rugby to play. So, but another bad result, you know, could send the team spiraling potentially. So certainly the kind of big one to watch on Saturday. And speaking of Leinster, Jonathan, you know, their victory, probably the performance of round one, you know, to go to France. It wasn't in Rossing's home stadium, but to play them in France and to, you know, to beat them up like that 42-10 was a major statement. They were already favourites for the tournament, but I think people came away just thinking now that, God, they're really, really up for it this year. I think genuinely we might actually underrate some of Leinster's achievements in the sense that whenever they go and do things like that, you you just kind of automatically say oh well that's what they do but like this was the game that I think was the most interesting or the most eagerly anticipated of the weekend because prior to this competition starting had that been the final I don't think anybody would have batted an eyelid like that was a massive massive game and Leinster played so well that like BT Sport flashed up a graphic at the start of the second half their chances of winning the game after the first half was like ninety six percent. Like, they killed off one of the biggest teams in Europe over the space of 40 minutes. And it's something that they've done so regularly. I know, admittedly, you can say that they haven't done it in the in the semifinals or the finals 
going back 2018. But it's the kind of thing that they do so regularly that I think it just, it almost passes people by how impressive it is. And that was the type of performance that really, as you say, like just completely cements their status as uh, as the favorites for this title. Yeah, it's funny. I actually switched on to Harlequin Sharks for the last 25 minutes or so. That shows you how one-sided it was. I didn't even stick around for, for, the, for the last quarter. Uh, Luke, what impressed you most about Lynch's performance? Like so many of the key guys we've been touching on in recent weeks, you know, Guy Ringrose, Kaelin Doris, Josh Van der Fleer again, they were really humming. But, you know, what, what in particular impressed you about, you know, how they went about their business? Think that they did it without Johnny Sexton. That's always pleasing. You're always worried about that. I think from a Leinster and Ireland perspective, you're like, what what's the what happens there? I think that was really pleasing. Um, and I think Byrne has been excellent. Like really, really good, really solid. Um, you know, lovely. He's got a good head in the shoulders. You even think of that Ulster match. And we, I'm, I know we keep referencing that one, but that kick. You know, even the one for Ireland in November. Like he's got a he's got a big game mentality. Even if he doesn't always not as flashy or not as good a runner of the ball as uh, certainly Johnny Sexton. Um, but, God, he's a really good player to have in your in your squad, isn't he? And um, so really pleased for him. I thought some of the pack performances were outstanding. Like, Doris, Doris has to be close to Josh van der Fleer last year. I just don't know if you could pick three Irish guys in that top five. But Doris is so, so good. Because he doesn't even look like... He doesn't look like a huge man to me. But, God, does he play big. Um, I thought he was outstanding. Um... And I just generally thought the pack just so cohesive. Uh, like, that's a big, that was still a huge, uh, you know, racing pack. And I thought they dealt with them superbly well, Will. And, and I don't know what Jonathan thinks, but that, that was my overriding impression. I could, they looked like they had great control over that game for long, long periods of it. And they play with great pace. And when, like, when they're playing well, they play with great pace. But they play with so few errors for a team that plays that quickly. That's what really impresses me. Usually when teams are playing that kind of quickly, it's hard to keep up that level of accuracy. And I think that's been a real point of difference. I think that's a training thing. I think, you know, when you think of Leinster's performances, yes, they haven't got over the line, but they play beautiful rugby and it's really accurate. And, it pl- and like, they just can blow you away if, if, you, if, you can't, if you don't stop them. And I think that's what happened last week against Ulster as well. Once they got a head of steam up, there was just, there's so much threat um, there's so much quality. I think everyone can handle the ball. I go on and on about that with, but it's so important that you can do that. I mean, one to fifteen in Leinster, no matter and you know twenty three, whoever comes off the off the bench, even um, they can all pass the rugby ball. It just opens up the pitch for you. They can all carry. Um, they all seem to be good, good rugby players. Just good, you know, good footballers seem to understand the game. Seem to understand the system that they're in. Now, it's a very settled coaching staff and that, but still, uh, that that's what really impressed me, Will. They, I just thought they looked so cohesive and accurate throughout the whole thing, and that's a difficult place to go. I know it wasn't La Défense, but that's still a tough place to go away. Anywhere, anywhere in France, uh, that, that's a real statement win, I think. Yeah, I wonder if Stuart Lancaster was seeing if he could wiggle out of that contract, potentially, maybe stick around at Leinster for, for another season after watching uh, the guys he'll be taking over next year. I think my personal highlight of the game was the uh, the set-piece move for the quick-tap try. You know, the, it was great to see some variation on that, because I'm sick of just, like, teams tapping and is mindlessly running in and getting absolutely smashed on the line they actually you see teams giving up a lot of turnovers because of that because one guy goes off on his own gets smashed knocks it on or gets p- turned over on the line great to see that kind of ingenuity jonathan around the line because as teams do the quick tap more and more it's vital that you actually have like you know a, something up your sleeve to a bit of deception or you know or something like that to a bit of subtlety to get through a defense yeah absolutely and it's a good point that you make about the turnovers because especially now when, you know, if you get held up over the line, it's a dropout. So it's a completely different scenario to the one that we had two years ago. Like, And the consequences of getting held up over the line now are huge. And 
it was funny because having watched the the football the night before, it almost reminded you of you know that re- the yeah, routine the led to the goal. You know <laughs> where it was just it is just that little bit of something different, and you can see how effective it is in unlocking defenses. Yeah, I think Leo Cullen uh, gave a bit of credit to the Bulls. They did something similar yeah, to the RDS. Yeah, they did brilliant ones. They actually answered out twice, I think. Yeah, they scored one try anyway, and I think they came close to scoring another one. And the Bulls, you know, Jay White, the wily old operator, always seems to have uh, something up his sleeve. Jonathan, you know, is there any areas that you think Leinster potentially are vulnerable in? Obviously, it was such an impressive performance, maybe not off the basis of last weekend, but in terms of looking ahead to the European campaign generally, like last week, it was myself, Luke, and Keane. We were all kind of saying, we feel like we're having the same conversation again, tipping them to win the Champions Cup. And we were like, we could just probably repeat what we said at the start of last year. But from your perspective, is there any area you're like, hmm, maybe that I'm a little concerned there? Or do you think they're almost you know, airtight at this stage? I mean, I think from what we've seen so far from them this season, it's airtight. You know, Luke talked about the accuracy and like that's something that maybe didn't get spoken about so much in the Ulster game because they didn't have that accuracy in the first half an hour, well, really 38, 39 minutes. You saw even the couple of knock-ons that uh, preceded the try that they scored just before half-time. But, like, it didn't get mentioned as much that they didn't make a mistake after half-time. Like, as, as bad as Ulster were in letting them come back into that game, like, Leicester didn't make a mistake, and they barely made a mistake against Racing. So, looking at it like that, and especially with without Johnny Sexton and using that whole squad, you know, Tag Furlong having been out as well, they look like they're firing on all cylinders and there isn't that weakness. But, I mean, I don't think Racing are quite of the same profile of team as La Rochelle and as Saracens. And I know that they're probably tired of hearing these questions because it has been sort of year on year on year since 2018. But it's one of those that I think until they beat a team of that profile, there's still going to be that question mark. Yeah, I, I kind of wish Leinster had got to play Rossing maybe two years ago when they were really in their pomp, I think, of this team. You know, they've lost some star power. They're, they're not quite firing at the top, as you mentioned, Jonathan, of, of a Toulouse or a La Rochelle. And in terms of Johnny Sexton, Luke, I'd love to see him kept on ice this Friday. You know, his last ever game in Tomlin Park potentially could be on Stevens Day. Like, Ross Byrne is playing so well. I don't know if they need to be rushing him back here. I think Ross Byrne could definitely manage Friday night. I would love to see Johnny Sexton one more kind of head-to-head fractious derby day on, on Stevens Day at Town Park, potentially. Yeah, one more little tete-a-tete uh, with, the, with the Munster faithful. Yeah, no, I think... Um, God, I think they should just play all those... Play- you know my views on that. I, I think um, they should just be playing all those guys in those fixtures anyway. It's too big a fixture to not have the star power. I think Irish, Irish supporters in the league deserve, so I hope they don't do something silly and not bring out you know, a really top-class team down there. So, um, yeah, it'd be great to see him down there. I'm not sure that'll be the case. I think they will try and get him out if he's fit. Um, you know, look, we do know... We know what Johnny Sexton brings. Like, there's no doubt about that. That's, you know... <laughs> that goes without saying. But I still think you need to play some rugby. I think it's important that you, you know... You, yes, he can do it. But I think if you want to be able to build in the fitness that you need to play a World Cup or play five or six games in a World Cup over a short period of time, you still need to play rugby the year before. I don't care what age you are. I think he needs that. I think he's actually in great shape. Just had a few unlucky knocks. So um, I think they do need to play him a bit, Will. I think he can't. If he's going to be your guy, and quite clearly he's Ireland's guy too, um, you know, aside from the fact that I always love watching him play rugby, I just think he's a beautiful rugby player, great mind, um, plays the game kind of fearlessly. Um, I think 
he needs to play some rugby and he needs to get a few games under his belt, you, you know, because you can get in these injury ruts where you end up just, you know, two games here, then you're out for four weeks, you know, that you know that kind of thing. And I think he doesn't need that. I think he needs to get a couple of games under his belt. So I'd like to see him play if he's fit. Um, you know, I think uh, I think that'd be good for him too, not just uh, Leinster. One last thing on Leinster, Luke, before we, we, we kind of touch on, on Munster in their game against Toulouse. Ryan Baird is a guy, you know, you talked about as you like him as a number six. He's had a very good couple of weeks there as a number six. He adds something different, like, kind of different dimension to the Leinster pack. Like, do you think he could be someone who would will play at six later on in the season if they come up against a La Rochelle, a Toulouse, a Saracens? Does that give the Leinster pack, in your opinion, a bit of an edge or a, or a point of difference with him in that position than if they go with the more traditional number six? No, I think absolutely. I think he's a brilliant player. I think uh, he was brilliant actually up in Ravenhill uh, this year. and Obviously got a bad knock, I think, in the Sharks match. Um, that's kind of set his season back and kind of interrupted him around November. I just think he's a brilliant athlete. Um, I think he gives you an extra dimension in the line-out too and also with the scrum because he's kind of an oversized six, but he's got all the pace and ability to play that position. I, I think he's a really, really nice addition to this Leinster pack. And I think... Um, I, I think we see an awful lot of him, provided he stays injury-free uh, for Leinster this season. I just think um, so hard to... like. I, he, I just think he's added that little bit of... You know, you can see him out in the wide channels, and you, you do want him to be there a little bit because he can certainly add value there. We saw that from the try up in Ravenhill this year. Um, and you can see it from some of the sidestep he's doing when he's covering back kicks. Like, he's an unbelievable athlete. But I think what he's added is that little bit of grit. I, I think you see him in the tight exchange. I thought he was brilliant up in Ravenhill. I thought he was brilliant on the weekend. Looks really strong in the contact, pumping the legs, um, you know, and some of the tackling as well. He's kind of ferocious and, and kind of a bit fearless around the place. I, I really like him. I, I think he'll go far. I think he's another, he's another, adds another dimension to this uh, Leinster back row. And I think it's very clear to me that he is a six. And I think if he sticks at that and he pushes hard for that um, to be his only position that he's really considered, I think he nails that slot down. And I also think he mounts a really, really big challenge for that sixth slot in the Irish team. Um, and um, yeah, I, I really like him there, Will. I really think he's he could be he could be the difference. He could be the difference, I think, because you have McCarthy on the bench as well. You have it, it kind of allows you to carry maybe two locks if you're going to play. Uh, if you're going to play the likes of that La Rochelle pack, you can do a 6-2 split and you can really bring on some big guns if your pack is waning from the kind of, you know, around that 55, 60 minute mark where you're going, you know what, we need to just completely replace the guys who put in a massive shift against this massive, massive pack, you know, a, a La Rochelle or Saracens or whoever it is uh, in the latter stages of the competition. I think he allows you to do that because he can play pretty much across the, the, the back row. And also he's a huge man. So, um, yeah, I think he's brilliant. Really good to see him come through. Yeah, like each season for the last couple of seasons, Leinster have kind of added one new kind of element to their pack. It was maybe Caelan Doris and Ronan Keller emerging, then Don Sheen emerging, Porter being swapped back to Loosehead to allow them to play Furlong and himself. And I know Baird has been around for a couple of years, but between injuries, form, and swapping between positions, if he, as you say, Luke, can kind of maybe nail down that unique six position, that could be, as you say, a point of difference for later in the season. So it will be interesting to see how he goes over the next few weeks and months. Jonathan Munster Toulouse was a was an interesting one for what you could see of it on TV. Anyway, I know it was it was difficult at times with the freezing fog coming in in Town Park. An, an interesting occasion. Munster came up short in the end. You know that showed promise at times. Ultimately, like that Toulouse power kind of probably told. What was your takeaway from it? Like you know, in terms of both how Munster are developing and, and where they came up short uh, at the weekend. 
I think I do think that they're they're developing rightly. You know, you saw them a few times earlier in the season, and there was a real betting in process, and I think there was maybe even almost a sense of shock as to how much work that they had to do early in the season. And I think maybe you know they got to uh, they got to the international international break. They had that uh, you know the, the big sort of galvanizing win over. South Africa A and they've come back into the ERC and you know they've really fought their way back to what I thought was an impressive win against Edinburgh and then over to against Toulouse I thought it was more of the same like I think you can really see that they're building I think they're building in confidence in what they're trying to do in attack and I think that they generally look better every time I see them I think over the course of the season and I've like I've seen them a fair bit so I think they can feel pretty good. I th- Toulouse, to me, is still a next step above, and I think it's probably dealing with the power of a Toulouse side. And we all know that, you know, even if you do that, you still have uh, the possibility that a player like Dupont can pull off some magic as well. But the first step, I think, against a team like that is to be able to match them, match the power that they bring. And that was probably where they were just that little bit short on Sunday, I thought. Yeah, Luke, and I know, I suppose they played Toulouse last year as well, and they got very close to beating them and played really well. But I feel like last weekend was a kind of true reflection of the two sides. I know there was such a great atmosphere on the day last April. The fans coming up kind of gave Munster an extra 15%, whereas I felt like they were reasonably competitive at the weekend. The power issue, I completely agree with Jonathan. But I did think they caused Toulouse problems in that first half, especially when before the conditions got really kind of ridiculous and, and made it kind of more of a, a kicking battle and kind of much harder to play actual rugby. What, what was your kind of read on the game? Yeah, I think that's right. Like it's you know, I don't think it actually has to be that any any more complex than than the power issue will. I I think that's still there. I think you know a little bit worrying to see John Ryan going again in in in, um, in January for them. Uh, I think the front row is 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 still an issue. Just you know, I think when they get that back five in, that pack is is pretty strong. But I just feel like that front row is an issue for them, will. And I just think uh, that kind of showed on the weekend, really. That that and and that's the key thing here. Um. You know, you can grind Munster down, whereas, you know, really all the great Munster teams, you couldn't do that. All any great team, you can't really do that to them, you know. Um, so yeah, the power told. Um, I think it's positive. I think they've been making positive strides. I'd I'd be more I just in terms of where Munster, the Munster project is, that comeback against Edinburgh was probably more that that's more of what I'm looking for from them at this stage. I think Toulouse is are they're they're just they're a big you know, a massive squad, huge team. They're always going to be competitive. And I think that um, when I'm looking at a progress report for Munster, I'm looking at those Edinburgh matches versus the Toulouse. When I expect them to be competing with Toulouse once they have another preseason under their belt, once Roundtree's been able to get some personnel in, I think uh, I, I think that's probably more realistic to, to expect, you know, a win against the likes of Toulouse. But of course, I, I definitely saw progress too. I saw what you guys saw as well. I think that was plain to everyone. And I think that's why... They've been received pretty well after a loss at home. Uh, you know, you'd never really have thought any Munster team would kind of have such, well, I'm not going to say good press, but just, you know, the press was, they weren't out for them. Uh, the, the knives weren't out, I think. And it's probably a reflection of where they are in the project and where Toulouse will always be. Um, so, yeah, that's probably where, what I think about Munster at the moment, Will. Just on that point, yeah, I hadn't really considered the way Luke said it, Jonathan, in terms of they lost a home game at Tolman Park in Europe, which almost never happens or until recently hasn't happened very often. And people are treating it with more of a 
glass half full, uh, you know, the progress is there. You know, as I mentioned, considering they almost beat Toulouse in the quarterfinals, is that too kind of positive a spin? Is that being too generous? I'm sure some Ulster players or fans are like, geez, I would love to get treated that way after a, a, you know, a home loss. Yeah, well, I mean, when you're saying that uh, the press weren't really out for them, I think that was just because uh, everybody had to be out for Ulster, which had only finished about half an hour before the Munster game started. Like, so, no, I like, I understand the reference to last year's game, but for me, just because the amount of times that Ulster have played to lose in the last couple of years, I've watched them an awful lot. And, like, to me, they're far more like themselves this year than they were last year. I think they were, they were just off it last year. I think we saw that. In all the games that they uh, played against Irish opposition, they were pretty lucky to to escape Ulster and Munster, and then we saw what happened to them then after that. So I think this is a much better Toulouse team than a year ago, and I think it's just I think it's just a bit of realism about where they were come the end of last season, and I suppose the ending of the Johan Van Gran era and the way everything seemed so muddled in terms of what they were trying to do at the end of last season compared to now while there were that sort of wealth of um, of teething problems in the early weeks of the season, I think the optimism is born out of the fact that they look like they're pulling in the same direction now. They look like they've got to grips with what Graham Rowntree wants them to do and they look like they're buying into it. So I think it's, I think it's healthy that like it's not a case of we're monster, we never lose at home, so we don't apply any context to it. You know, I think the fact that people can't appreciate what it is that they're trying to do and what it is that they need to do in order to build themselves back up, I think that's good because it gives Graham Ryan to a bit of space to work, I think. Yeah, I actually think that was very well put. I agree with you uh, 100%. Um, but I am interested to see how they, ben- how they kind of take what they did last weekend, Luke, and go to Northampton with it. Because as you mentioned, you're probably not judging them on the Toulouse games as much as maybe in Northampton, you know, who obviously got badly beaten by La Rochelle. But I still have a lot of quality in that team. And they're going to Franklin's Gardens. That's a big game now. Do you, You'd like to see them go and kick on and, and, and get that win. Yeah, I, I'm kind of worried about this one. I think the La Rochelle context, like there yeah. will be a bad I think this is a banana like- peel. No, I just I feel like the, if you know if they got good press uh, or well they didn't get bad press let's put it that way uh, after uh, the match against Toulouse I think they'll get it <laughs> if they if they uh, don't perform over in, in Northampton so yeah I think it's a big one for them and this is kind of one of those ones that I think it, it's a gauge of where you are they've done it against Edinburgh away from home they need to do it now in Franklin's Gardens which will be a bigger ask I think um, away from home and I, I, it'll give them a huge lift I think it keeps the momentum going for them. Uh, as we have all, I think, observed, they certainly are heading in the right direction uh, from where they were. I mean, they looked like a, geez, they looked in really bad shape at the start of the season. You'd be, you were kind of worried for them. Whereas you think now you could see them mounting some kind of comeback. There's, there's potential there. Uh, Franklin's Gardens is, is an opportunity for them to do that. And I think they'll get, I think if they don't put in a big performance and if they don't get a win, I think, um, you know, I think the noise will be out a little bit. Actually, I think they, I think the expectation will be higher this weekend. And I think they should try and, they really need to deliver on it now. Yeah, I was, I was just thinking, I wonder what like a podcast over in Northampton is like after a Champions Cup weekend, because every time I seem to watch them in Europe, they're getting absolutely pasted by, be it Leinster, La Rochelle, Ulster, you know, have beaten them heavily in pretty recent times too. They always seem to be just good enough to qualify, but, but you know, rarely sustain a, a European challenge over the last number of seasons. Jonathan, in terms of the tournament itself, before we wrap up, you know, again, social media, probably not the best representation, but given 
a lot of fans are in other countries is probably the best way of seeing it from this perspective. You know, there was a lot of kind of rumblings and negativity over the weekend saying, oh, you know, fan, there wasn't huge crowds. There wasn't great atmospheres of various games. I enjoyed watching the matches across the weekend. I probably watched, the, you know, a bit of everything, basically. But in terms of the atmosphere slash kind of fan perspective, you know, what's your view on that? Am I, am I overreading some social media tweets or do you think there is kind of a bit of negativity around the tournament? I think that there is. And like, like I'm 100% with you. I think we can all get sort of bogged down into seeing um, the, the volume of negativity on social media and people are much more likely to, tweet something saying I don't like this and they are just tweet something saying this is fine you know so I think there is a danger in that but whenever you look at the attendances like the attendances weren't great in an awful lot of these games and I think that's a concern because and even in terms of some some teams team selections not going full bore I think that's a concern and like I know, like, I've been banging on about this for, like, well, two and a half years at this stage, but I just don't like the format. Like, the uh, the pool stages, it's not that it's confusing because I see an awful lot of people say, oh, I just can't get my head around it. Like, people, I think, at this stage can get their head around it. They just don't like it. The, uh, the old format with the pools, the head-to-heads, the uh, the Christmas back to backs and even the sort of in game element that it brought to it of you know that it re- f- the feeling that it really mattered whether your opponent got a try scoring bonus point or whether you got a losing bonus point like those things all felt like big in game swings but I just think the way that the the way that the pool stages are now I think it's a trade off that you're going to see less engagement in the pool stages and I don't think it hurt the knockouts. Last year, I thought that it would, but I don't think that it did. But if you're going to play your pool stages across four games and you're going to have a format that I think at this stage, it's fair to say the vast majority don't like, there has to be some sort of drawback to that. And I think we did see that over the weekend as much as I did enjoy an awful lot of the rugby. Interesting. Do you have any perspective on that, Luke? I completely agree. You know, I always used to love... um... You know, the, that kind of last day of the pool stages where there was that kind of movement in, but you know, that top eight. Uh, I mean, it was a great day's rugby, wasn't it? Watching people kind of fighting for those, you know, home quarterfinals or fighting for those, you know, that, that, that last kind of qualification. As you say, those swings between teams that needed a try bonus or teams that, you know, were kind of hanging on. There was all, all sorts of kind of permutations. And I feel like, look, that definitely has been lost somewhere. But um, I, I do think, because I watched, it was the first weekend I watched a really, like, a, quite a lot of rugby. <laughs> just a baby was, I, I just, whatever way it worked out, I was watching a lot of rugby in the weekend. And I have to say, I really thought it was good rugby. Now, maybe that, maybe my, maybe I had that kind of bias because I was watching the Leinster one. And I obviously, you know, as much as I try and be um, <laughs> reasonably unbiased, I felt great after that one. Um, so maybe that was my kind of, uh, my, my, my trailing thought, if you like, and has maybe colored it. But I just felt it was it was an enjoyable weekend of rugby, even if there wasn't massive amounts of crowds there. And look, as well, we probably have to consider, like, I wonder, did the weather play a bit of a part in that as well? So are we being a little bit harsh? Have we factored that in? Um, I think generally rugby supporters are, generally close enough to the stadium in most respects and probably do travel if, if, if the game is on they'll usually find a way to get there if they really want to so my sense is it didn't play a part but it could have um 
So look, let's see how it all pl- plays out. I, I think, like, I mean, the last year certainly, the, I, I would agree with Jonathan's point on the, like, it certainly didn't hurt the qualifier. I mean, like, once you got through the qualification stages and you were into the the knockout, like, it was brilliant rugby, like intriguing, great matches. You think of the monster ones where you got the kicks. The, you know, there was there was it had a bit of everything. I thought so. Um, yeah, I, I have to say uh, the the pool stages. I'm not sure it requires, I think it might require a rethink, um, but let's wait and see how it pans out. That could have been a weather-related thing in the weekend. Yeah, well, finishing up with Ospreys Leicester in a you know very, very sparse crowd and freezing cold weather, I don't blame Ospreys fans for not wanting to pitch up uh, in those conditions. But as, as Jonathan said here, let's just wait and see over the next couple of weeks. It'll be interesting to see if the crowd interest picks up, especially in South Africa, where there was some... I think Scott Britt cut to him saying the atmosphere is building here in Durban. There was literally about ten people in the in the stand <laughs> behind him in a, in a humongous stadium. They, so, they do have huge stadiums that they play yeah. in, though. Will like you know yeah, what I mean? That can't be but it's, yeah. But even, even so, like, like, like it, playing Edinburgh, you could have there was yeah. apparently you know six or seven thousand people there, but like it felt like it was you and the stewards playing in uh, in Murrayfield at times back in the day. Um, so yeah, look. The South African ones can be a little bit misleading sometimes. But I do hope, uh, like uh, as time goes on, if a few of them get to the later, latter stage of the competition, that they will become a little bit more interested. Because I would I'd probably agree with your take, even if I'm <laughs> giving a little caveat, trying yeah, to help out the competition here. Yeah. There is a mental uh, for South Africa as well, because they're not used to playing rugby at this time of year as well. So it's like, you know, there, there's a summer element as well. So that could be something that takes a little while to bet in just even the idea that this is a time of year when there is rugby yeah mm-hmm. apparently they wouldn't be yeah they never play rugby in this weather because it's too hot so it's an interesting time of year for northern hemisphere players to have to head down and, and i know it was certainly looked like quinn's in the latter half of that game certainly got a got got hit by a bit of fatigue given given how hot it was and the fast pace of the game uh, just to finish up jonathan might get your prediction for that big ulster game at the weekend like it, it could be a tipping point in the season it could you know galvanize them i think as dan mcfarland said in one of your pieces a little spark you know to regain the confidence or you know it could it could kind of send them down an even slipperier slope what, what's your view on how it'll go yeah i mean with the caveats that uh i predicted they would win on sunday and was uh at least 39 points out i uh think that this week we will see the response even if it is a sort of brief flicker in the season like we used to see sort of 15 20 years ago where they would do this when big french teams came to town i uh i, th- I think we'll see something more like the the team that we know that they are this this week well it's set up to be a very exciting weekend of european rugby once again starting off with leinster versus gloucester on friday night and continuing on for the rest of the weekend but for now I'd like to thank Jonathan and Luke for joining me on this week's episode of The Left Wing. We will be back later in the week with another podcast looking ahead to the European action. But in the meantime, thanks for listening and goodbye. This is an Irish independent podcast.